Hi, everybody. I'm Josh Constein, your host of Press Club, where we bring together the biggest names in tech to talk about the big issues. And here we have a special show, the one year anniversary show for Press Club. And it couldn't be a better fit than to have the two founders of Clubhouse, Paul Davison and Rohan Seth, the creators of this thing we're on right now. It has been such an amazing ride seeing you guys uh, grow as founders, seeing the company grow, the community grow, and all of the new creators who found a home on this app. And you know, so often you guys are generous with your time in jumping into rooms to help give a bump and bring some listeners into really important topics. But we don't often actually get to hear a lot about you guys personally because you, you're incredibly humble. You try to stay out of the spotlight, which I, I actually really appreciate. But today I want to dive a little bit deeper into your own origin stories, where you came from, how you came up with the idea for this app, what it's been like building this app amidst all of this hype, and, and where you think the future of social audio is going. So I'm so excited to bring you guys on today. And with that, I want to just jump in with our first question, which is, Paul, maybe you could just give us a quick reminder. What is the Clubhouse origin story? How did this thing come together? Oh, man. Rohan and I have known each other for like 10 years. We met through a mutual friend back when I was working on Highlight. And Josh, that's when you and I first met, when you were at TechCrunch and, and you were always so thoughtful about social products and you know, it was a location-based social network. And Rohan, do you want to talk a little bit about your background back then and, and why we got connected in the first place? Sure, yeah. I used to work at Google and I built uh, a lot of the early location stuff at Google. So I got to work on the first version of Android. I got to work on the first location platform um, at Google. You know, it was just like a space that I was, uh, I was really, really excited about. I think Elad connected us and it was just like, oh, you guys both like location. You should just talk to each other. <laughs> yeah, Paul, you definitely built some of the craziest apps that I've seen. Like, people, you would come into the TechCrunch office and you'd be like, oh, you're not going to believe. Like, I couldn't wait till you actually left the office just so I could tell the other guys, like, you won't believe the crazy thing. He wants you to just automatically share your camera roll with your friends. We're like, oh my God. So he wants you to share your location so that like random people that cross your path, you might actually be able to meet them afterwards, like a misconnections location app. They were so forward thinking and sometimes they almost came off a little bit creepy. But like, if you think back 20 years, if you ask people like, do you want a device in your pocket that's going to let the government track you to like within one meter anywhere you are on earth? People will be like, no, I don't want that. But if you're like, oh, but you like your GPS dot, they're like, oh, I love my GPS dot. Couldn't get by without it. So I feel like you were maybe just ahead of your time. So, so how did it come together with you guys working together and then eventually working on this? Oh man. So we spent a lot of time in between that period and now working on social apps. Like it's one of those things where it's just like, um, I hate that I love it, but I love it. I love it. And we had sort of varying degrees of success, nothing that ever really took off the, the way that we wanted it to take off. And it was late 2019. And we reconnected over some unrelated stuff, the work that you were doing with Lydia Rohan and you know, we caught up and, and, and had a number of different conversations about a bunch of different stuff. And eventually we were starting to think about what we wanted to work on and what we wanted to build next. We were both sort of at that point in our career where we were thinking about starting another company and we met up for coffee and, and I shared a few ideas that I had and Rowan said, Oh man, I've thought about that so much. And then he would share some ideas that he had been kicking around. And, and I would say, we literally prototyped that at my last startup and, and it had the same code name. And, and eventually we just said, okay, well, we've always wanted to work together. We've always wanted to build something. Why don't we just build something together? We don't know what it's going to be, but but let's just let's just take a swing at it. And and the first thing we said was like, let's not do social. We're not going to build a social app because those <laughs> are crazy, and we're not twenty year olds anymore. And then, you know, at the time, I'm like, I'm forty. I've got three kids. I shouldn't be building social apps. Let's do something where there's a more predictable relationship between input and output. And so. So we were looking at the marketplaces and productivity and, and education and all different areas that we were really excited about, where there were products that we wanted to have exist in the world that we wanted to use, but nothing quite as high beta and unpredictable as straight up consumer social. And so we were playing with a lot of ideas, prototyping a bunch of stuff. And we just kept coming back to audio as a space that we thought was interesting. Like, Rowan, I remember you had built Phone a Friend before and had been thinking about <laughs> audio a lot, right? Yeah. Um, Josh, I don't know if I've told you about Phone a Friend, but uh, <laughs> so for my, my, my previous startup, uh, Memory Labs, the very last thing that I worked on was a social app called Phone a Friend. And uh, I think the AirPods had just come out and I just felt like there was something really, really exciting happening in audio and I wanted to build on top of this platform. And so what we built was this app where every time you would open the app, there was one giant button. And if you press that button, it would notify all of your friends on the app that you were free to talk. 
And the first one to accept would get connected to you. Anybody else uh, joining in could listen to you and could join the conversation. So it wasn't very uh, different from Clubhouse. It was audio only, but the, the key difference was that it, would, it was only for your friends. And just the math did not work out. So, you know, most of the time you would press that button and uh, one of your friends wouldn't be free to talk. But when they were free to talk, it was just this incredibly magical experience because, you know, you were commuting, you would press a button and your friends would just be there and you could just talk to them. And it was this serendipitous, low pressure gathering of people. But uh, we, we just felt like we hadn't cracked the behavior because it was focused on friends. The math didn't work out. Most of the time you would press the button. No one could get connected. So you know, um, it kind of tabled the idea, but kept thinking about it over the years. But it seems like you already were like hammering on the door of that idea of like people often just like feel a little bit lonely, wish they had people to talk to. You know, if your three best friends aren't there to like call on the phone, like who do you talk to? And it feels like Clubhouse was maybe the way to make sure you just had to expand your vision of who your friends were. And suddenly there were people there on the other end of the line. Yeah, absolutely. Paul, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about your interests in audio too? Because I think that like ties in. Yeah, I came at it from a really different angle. But I think back when I was working on Highlight, Josh, I was just working all the time. And I realized at some point that I'd stop reading books. And that made me sad because I really love reading books. But, you know, if anything, I was just sort of skimming headlines. And I decided to give audio books a try, I don't know, eight or nine years ago. And it was amazing. You can speed it up. You can listen while you're driving or running or in bed at night. And, and suddenly I started started reading all these books again. And then I got into podcasts and that was amazing too. And, and I kind of never looked back. I, I went all audio all the time and I just really love the medium, right? There's so much emotion and fidelity and voice and the fact that it creates all this found time. You can multitask, you can, you can kind of learn and connect with people while you're doing other things. And, and so I really love the medium, but I always found it a little frustrating because it's really hard to find good spoken audio content. And there's no reason why it should be. If you think about it from a first principles perspective, I don't think it's actually very hard to create good spoken audio content in the sense that if you're a smart person, informed person, you're, you're funny, you have domain expertise, and there's so many people like that in the world, you can just talk, right? And, and there are people who are interested in the same topics who would love to listen to you and love to be a fly on the wall. And, you know, Josh, I could hear you just talk about stuff with other people who are interested in product for, for a long time. And that's true for so many people in the world. The challenge, I think, is not in the creation of the content, but in producing it and distributing it, given the way that the RSS-based podcast ecosystem works. Like, we kind of forget how, how difficult it is, but, but it's not normal. Like, every other time a new medium emerges, we get these services where you can pick a username and, and press a button and create content. For text, you have Twitter. For photos, you have Instagram. For video, we have YouTube and now TikTok. But for spoken audio, if you think about the steps involved, it's crazy. Like you have to say, hey, everybody, I'm going to start a podcast. And then you have to give it a name that's different from your own and commit to doing it at this regular cadence. And then you have to go out to all your friends and say, hey, will you be on my podcast? It, it doesn't have any distribution. And, <laughs> and then you have to schedule time with them. And, and that takes another week or two of back and forth. And then pre-COVID times, you would invite them to drive to your studio. And that means you had to set up a studio and learn about microphones and, and sound and how all of that worked. And then you'd have to prepare for it. And then you would record it and then do post-production, have intro music and cover art. And then you had to set up RSS feeds. Like you shouldn't have to know what RSS is in order to talk. It's crazy, right? And then you put it out there and no one can listen to it for hours or, or, or more than that, right? And we forget that the foundation of terrestrial radio is the fact that it is live or near live. Right. Think about the most popular formats, live sports, breaking news, listener call-in shows, morning and evening commute shows where you're talking about the events of the day. You can't really do any of that with a podcast. And I love podcasts, don't get me wrong, but they're fundamentally limited by the fact that they're asynchronous. And then you put it out there and you don't know who listened to it because a lot of the, the players won't tell you how many subs you have. And people comment on it and you can't respond because it lives across 10 or 20 different players and it's really hard to monetize. And for a medium that so powerful and just so wonderful it's really much much harder than it should be so it just seems so crazy though like because 
there's so many brilliant people in the world who you can't experience or explore all the knowledge in the world yourself. Like we are mortal, we have finite lifespans, and there is a near infinite amount of information out there. But I, what I always thought was kind of the magic of Twitter was the idea of like, okay, if everybody just sort of goes off in their own direction, specializes, like the beauty of humanity and just the how the world's global population is that everyone can specialize and go down their own different path, find, get their own prerequisite information, and then become an expert in something, dig through information, and then they can pull the, you know, the, like the most important nuggets to still everything they read or learn down to something really like clean and small and then share that. And everybody else kind of gets to almost piggyback on that knowledge as if they lived each of those lifetimes as if they, as if they had spent a day reading and instead they just got the best nugget of information in 15 seconds. And that's, that's fine with text, but it's so hard to explore nuanced points and the real depth of all that knowledge that they share. But the problem is that I've seen across the board with a lot of creation and social apps is just the idea that, you know, if you have to be more than what you're great at, like you can be an amazing researcher in some niche topic, but to be a social media star, to be able to really like create a following, you have to be good at so many of these other things like you talked about, you know, producing, distributing, like finding guests, all the equipment stuff and everything else that comes with it. And I think that 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 deters so many people who have such amazing knowledge to share from ever being able to get it beyond the walls of their own brain. And that's that I think is such a beautiful uh, desire to sort of unlock all of that knowledge that's trapped inside of us and, you know, really leverage the amazing ability for humans to specialize in us all to live totally different lives and accumulate totally different sets of knowledge, but come back with the, the most shareable or important things to distribute. But yeah, I'll let you go on, but I'm just, I'm so fascinated with that idea. And I think you guys capture it. Yeah, no, totally. I agree, Josh. I think that all of information technology is about reducing friction. I I really think it all comes down to that. And I've always been amazed at how seemingly small reductions in friction have this massive impact on usage, you know, because you can get more and more people over that activation energy. Like, like some examples that, that I've thought about before are like, when uh, Netflix introduced streaming way back in the day, I, I just changed my viewing behavior to only watch what was available via streaming. It's It was easy to mail in DVDs and you get a lot better content, but it's easier to just change your viewing behavior so you only do that. Or, or like Amazon Prime plus one click, a lot of people don't comparison shop because it's easier just to use Amazon. Or, or think about the Facebook like button versus typing in, I like this, orders of magnitude more usage. And, and the meaning behind it changes because... People know that you went to less effort and, or, or like Tinder versus Match. It's, it, you see that story play out over and over and over again. If you can just find ways to, to reduce friction, you, you, you lower the activation energy and you unlock all of this creativity. It's really, really amazing. So then how did you guys come together? You had this concept, this idea, but then what was the sort of predecessor or what was the, you know, the first prototype and MVP? And then how did that end up leading to you know, the start of Clubhouse? The very first thing that we worked on was this app called Talk Show. Josh, did we invite you to that? Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, I, I remember it. And I was like, this is cool. But like, again, I still have to do all the work of distributing this podcast. And like, that was the whole reason I didn't want to be a podcaster. Totally. It was like, I have enough trouble distributing things on Twitter because I'm not actually funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the way talk show would work was, um, you know, it was similar to Clubhouse. You uh, press a button and then you'd have to pick the guests that you wanted to go live with. And then you would post a link on Twitter or other platforms and people could just listen to the conversation live. They could submit questions without downloading the app. And the final conversation was actually archived. So it was available for future listening. I think we did a few hundred shows and I'm sure we did a few with you, Josh. Um, I think the most interesting thing about talk shows that it was live, you know, all the things that Paul just mentioned about why live is so special. You just didn't have to like produce anything. You could, you could skip the post-production phase. I just remember, uh, Paul, what was that a time that we, you were hosting a show around remote work? And I think that there was your friend who was in the audience who just happened to be an expert in remote work. And you were able to pull him up on stage and just the conversation changed in the middle yeah. of the show. And it yeah, was I think DK and I were doing, a, were doing a talk show on remote work. And the way it worked, we built it really, really quickly. Josh, like each time a new person started listening, you would get a text message telling you that they had oh, right. and when people <laughs> questions, they would get routed to you via text. And we were talking about remote work and this was pre-COVID and everything. So it was less of a hot topic. And we got notified that one of my friends who worked at a remote work company had just started listening. And I'm like, oh, why don't we try and dial in Dave and, and see if he can join the conversation. So we, we pressed a button and patched him in and he joined as a speaker for the rest of the conversation. And it was magical. Like the idea that you could see in real time 
when people started listening, when experts started listening and you could bring them up on stage effectively and, and start talking, that was the coolest part of it. But the rest of it, the rest of it was, was hard. It was too heavyweight. I think it's fine for a social product to start off as a publishing tool where you post content out to other networks and you can get some liquidity that way. But to really be a durable platform, which is something we think about a lot, durability, you have to cross that bridge and become a consumption space. And we just didn't think that talk show could do that. Like we really felt like there was something special about that sort of lighter weight participatory nature of it. And, and so, so we said, okay, this, this feels too stuck in the middle. Let's either go way more towards the formal side or way more towards the casual side. And the casual side, it was always more interesting to us. And so this sounds much more deliberate than it probably was because you never, ever expect anything to work, right? It's just so few and far between. And there's so much luck and so much timing and things can always change on a dime. And we're aware of that every day. But at the time, we just felt like this doesn't seem right. We don't think that talk show in its current form can work, but there's something about audio that we really love. And so we shut it down after, I don't know, six weeks or so and moved the pieces around and launched the first version of Clubhouse in March of last year. That's so smart that like you guys were willing to sort of kill your darlings, to take this thing that you had built and put a lot of love into, but know that it wasn't right, that it might be stuck at a local maxima and know that it was time to put it to bed rather than just trying to grind on and on about it. And that you had figured out that you had solved the production side of it, but not the distribution side. And when we look back at like the history of social networks, you know, the best ones, the most enduring ones, the most profitable ones are the ones that become a network themselves, that become their own social graph, that don't just piggyback on the distribution of someone else, but also that don't don't require you to already have an audience somewhere else. And I think that's one of the th- parts that I thought was so interesting about Clubhouse when I wrote the first press about you guys for TechCrunch was the idea that this was something that built the distribution for you because almost every other social network, you had to like claw your way up the follower count until there was enough people paying attention for it to even really be worth your while. But because of the way that Clubhouse worked, it was pretty easy for you know people to discover what you were doing, even if they weren't following you already, especially in the early days. And then you know with the follow count, it wasn't that you had to sort of, you know, grind it out and directly message anybody or ping them for them to hear it. Like they would get these notifications and that brought them into the network. And I thought that was such a great way of talking, doing it. But I want to rewind. So you built social product after social product, and you've come up with so many of these really interesting frameworks for understanding, you know, production versus distribution versus creation and how those three parts really needed to be unified in a single product. But I want to go back to how you got to be so social in the first place. Like, Paul, were you like a really social kid? Were you super outgoing or was this like, or and was this sort of an expression of that? Or do you think maybe you were kind of introverted and maybe didn't have that friendship and maybe you were building something to help augment your, yourself, to give yourself that superpower? I want to know your superhero origin story. That's an interesting question. I, um, I think that uh, growing up, we can bring my wife, Amanda, up. We met in high school and she could tell you a little bit more about what I was like. Ooh, that'd be juicy. <laughs> <laughs> we started dating when we were 16. That's adorable. <laughs> She's near the bottom of the followed by the speaker section if you want to do that. But um, I think that I always enjoyed joking around and talking and, and all of that. But I guess I was kind of in between. You know, I study a lot and worked a lot and all that sort of stuff and had a bunch of siblings and always enjoyed like joking around at our homes. And, and I've always been really interested in people. I would say that like, you know, even highlight Josh, like, I didn't realize this until someone pointed it out, but it's very similar thematically to Clubhouse, right? It's it's friends and new people all around you. And, and um, I've always been interested in this problem that the people in our lives, the people we become friends with, the people we marry, the people we do things with, the people we start companies with, they're the most important thing in the world, right? Nothing affects our lives and our happiness more than the people around us. But the way that we learn about people and the way that we decide to bring new people into our lives it's just incredibly random and inefficient. Like you think about the most important people in your life, you probably know them because you happen to be in the same dorm as them in, in college, or you lived across the street from them going up, or you bumped into them at a random party. And I've always just felt that if you could reduce the friction to finding the right people to bring into your lives, so much happiness can come from that. And so much, so much good and so much humanity can come from that. So when I was in school back in, I remember like in 2000, 2006 writing a paper on this like I've, I've always been really fascinated by this problem I wouldn't necessarily say it's a <laughs> any sort of superpower but it has been a little bit of a of an obsession or focus of mine and and I just love building products that are 
that are based around that. Yeah, because I think feel like you're right. Like so many of those people that we meet, it's kind of happenstance. It's like very random. It's crazy, and right? it's, it's crazy. And it's terrifying because you're like, if I just hadn't gotten out of bed that night, if I would just be like, I don't really right. feel like going to this That's thing. Right. Like you might not have ever met someone. Like I met my wife at this like TechCrunch conference after party and we had basically no mutual friends. I don't think we ever would have met. And like my life would be just obviously worse if I had never met her. And <laughs> right. it's so random that it happened. And so the idea right. that like we trust, right. you know, like, we trust all of this, like our happiness and our futures and our fulfillment in life to the like completely random happenstance of who we run into seems kind of like terrifying. Cause you're like, it's oh crazy, no, a few right? wrong moves. And like, I could be sad my whole life. It, it's, it's so insane. I mean, even Paul and I, like we met at a random happy hour. It's like, you know, five people just were invited to the small office for, uh, Actually, the company that I'm wearing that T-shirt right now is Carlos's company. But it's um, yeah, it just feels so random. And and think about all of the friends that we've made on Clubhouse this year, and all the people we know, and and all the experiences that we've had together. None of it would have happened if we hadn't gone to that one happy hour. And and I do think that we romanticize serendipity, and there is something very storybook about it that that we kind of celebrate. But I guess like when you think about it mathematically, the the amount of happiness and good that you could unlock if you could just make that process a little better, it's mind-blowing. We kind of reluctantly decided, okay, fine, we'll build another social app because the more and more we got into audio, the more and more we thought, ah, damn it, we have to build another social app. But the, the second we started working on it, we said, oh, we love this so much. Like, we love it. We love it. And like getting to do new user orientation and town halls and be in rooms like this, like, I literally love it. And I'm just so grateful that we get to build this thing. So I do think there's something to founder market fit, even if it's not a rational thing to do. I think it's good to, if you're able to, if you're lucky enough to be able to, to work on something that you love doing, even if it's not the, the highest expected value outcome, you know? Rohan, what about you? I want to know about your superhero origin story. Was there like any formative experience or, you know, moment in your life where you're like, man, if you had had a product like this, things could have been different or that you like really longed for this or that maybe just felt like this is the like natural, like I am the clubhouse elemental. Like what, what is it? That, you know, was there some moment like that you can think of in your life that maybe primed you to be become who you are now? Sorry, I'm getting super Freudian. I'm like, I'm going to be your therapist today. Yeah, I mean, I love that. That sounds like really... <laughs> No, I mean, honestly, I think like it's, um, it's funny. I gravitate towards a lot of the same stuff that Paul does. Like, you know, I've always gravitated towards building things that connect human beings. And so I remember one of the, one of the first things that I got to work at Google was uh, this uh, location social network called Google Latitude. I don't know if uh, many of you remember that, but it was, it was similar. It was one of those things where you could see your friends in a map and if they were next to you or in the block next to you, you could, you could go find them and you could meet them at the bar that they were at. And it was a little creepy, but it, you know, it was uh, just like this idea of building serendipity into a product was something that uh, I was always very, very attracted to. And you know, I tried a lot of different ideas for my last company. And like Paul said, uh, working on social is not the most rational thing to do. It's a lot of grinding, but you just, if you just genuinely enjoy doing it, it's fun. And it's always fun to just like keep coming up with new ideas and trying it out. And I think that's kind of what I've always enjoyed. I, I remember telling Amanda, I'm like, I'm really sorry, but we're going to build another social app. <laughs> 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 and she's like, that's great. I think that's fantastic. And, and she's always been so supportive. And the one thing I would say that is, that's heartening, Josh, is there's so much randomness and so much luck. And again, like we have so much more work to do at Clubhouse, but you do at least feel like you get better at it over the years and you learn to pattern match and you learn to not make the repeatedly make the same mistakes. Like you mentioned earlier, just ruthlessly focusing on the one feature that that's going to make a difference and, and killing it quickly if it's not going to work and not raising money if you if you don't need money and, and, and all of these things. Ron and I, we've been in the batting cage for like 10 or 15 years working on swinging and working on these things. And you make a lot of mistakes and and you do pattern match a bit. And and I think Rohan's been just an incredible partner and really good at, at pushing me to ruthlessly focus on the right things and prioritize and earn the right to polish that feature. And and I think that we we make each other better with those sorts of things. But it's only through a lot of falling for the same things a couple of times before you start to realize that you shouldn't do that again. One more thing I would add to that is like, you know, even for Clubhouse and Talk Show and a little app that we built between those two. Um, <laughs> I, you know, we, we always said that we we're going to time box this. It always felt to us that 
it was not a rational thing to do. So we were like, okay, we'll do social for a year. And then, you know, when it doesn't work, we'll do something else. <laughs> I like you say not if, but when. Yeah. <laughs> Quickly, I just want to ask, like, you guys are both pretty humble dudes. I would just love to maybe like hear Rohan, like tell me something about Paul that Paul wouldn't say about himself. That's like made him able to be the person who's building this app. Oh man. Uh, let me think. Um, too hard of a question here's one thing i'd say is like i think a lot of people think like oh like this is a show like paul can't be this optimistic all the time but he just is you know he's the most optimistic person i know and it's just so infectious and it's like an honor working with him every single day it's hard to be that positive all the time okay now paul i gotta <laughs> flip it on you and tell me is is rohan just like the ultimate glass half empty to your glass half full like is he the realist that keeps you grounded or what is it that like that makes rohan like no. the perfect partner for you and why is why is he the right person to be able to build this like what is it inside of him that he wouldn't say well rohan i think rohan is also an optimist but i think that he is very focused and practical and structured and has really good frameworks for making things and will and will pull you back to earth and is always focused on urgency. I'm always moving the quickly up. in a good way though. Like it's a really good balance. It's just a fantastic partnership and hugely grateful that we get a chance to build this thing together because there are so many times where I'll start to go down the path on some like pixel level thing or design thing. And, and he's like, no, we have to earn the right to do that. And no, this is, yeah, I agree, Paul. That's important. Let's put it in the backlog and we'll get to it later, which is a classic <laughs> trick. So I want to go back to the early days of Clubhouse. I yeah. think one of the most yeah. iconic things about how this app was built was the, you know, the very slow and deliberate uh, distribution to new people, like the invite system and you know, doling out invites kind of slowly and how that really you know, consciously and purposefully built the early community, which I think did an incredible job of you know, involving both like product builders that could give you great feedback feedback to, you know, artists and, you know, creators who wanted to explore how this new medium could be used uh, to, you know, to bring their expertise to the world, to also like social justice and, you know, the incredible movements and things that were happening in those early days. Like, maybe you could just tell me a little bit about, you know, why did you guys decide beyond maybe the obvious technical constraints of not wanting the whole thing to like fall over itself in the early days? But like, how did you think about coming up with the the early invite system and, and why did you make it that way? Maybe I'll start Rohan and maybe sure. you can add to it. Um, so the very first version of Clubhouse, the whole app was a single room and there was no follow graph. Everyone followed everyone. There was no concept of an audience. Everyone was a speaker the whole time. And the very, very first version of Clubhouse, when you actually opened the app, it would notify people that you were there. And, and the reason why we tried to channel all of that liquidity into one place was so that people could have a successful conversation. And so we did a lot of, on the ground community building work to try and get a group of people who actually knew each other, but also had some friend overlap. So that when people came in, it would seem like a, like a good dinner party where you see a bunch of familiar faces, but then you find some people that you might know of and you see friends of friends and, and you have all that shared context, but you can expand at the, at the periphery. And I remember we were talking about it and saying, well, what if, what if we can't get liquidity? Like what if, People open the app and there isn't enough people on there to, to have a conversation get started. And we sort of said, well, then we'll just add more people, right? And we weren't sure that anything would work, but you just try to reason from first principles. And then we also had um, alerts set up, like we had a Slack integration set up so that every time a new person would join the app, we'd get notified and we would make sure to jump in the room and be there when they got there so that they could have a good experience. And it was funny, I do, I do remember one time friend of ours onboarded and he got to the end uh, of onboarding and he looked at the list of people that he was following and he said oh this is strange why am i seeing my contacts here i don't remember giving contact permission and i said no no we didn't ask for contact permission these are just all of the people who are on the app and he said and coincidentally i know 90 percent of them and i'm like yeah we did that by design like we tried to find people that had common overlap and then what we we had to quickly shift gears into as soon as we got any sense that there might be something there was diversifying the community, growing the community. So we asked everyone very deliberately, like Clubhouse is going to be so much better if it is a diverse and inclusive and welcoming space. Please help us invite more people that might be outside of this immediate group. Please help us invite more women, more underrepresented minorities, more people from outside of tech, more people from other industries. And 
the community members just delivered in spades and just created this amazing, vibrant, dynamic community. And, and that's like the single best part of, of the whole experience, I think. And so the nice thing about growing through an invite model is you grow gradually so that things don't break, right? If you scale a community too quickly, things break. And so we just wanted to grow, grow it slowly, get feedback every day. We were in the app for 12 or 14 hours a day talking with people while we were building the product and they would report a bug verbally and we'd fix it 10 minutes later and thank them in the release notes. And, and we just wanted to stay 100% focused on the community in the product. Like we didn't have a website. We didn't have a Twitter account. We weren't in the app store. We, we politely declined all press for the, for the first six months because we just wanted to stay <laughs> focused on the product. Josh, I remember when you wrote, you wrote the first story about Clubhouse that anyone wrote. And I remember being on the phone with you going, please don't write this. And you're like, I have to. And I'm like, please don't. <laughs> I was like, somebody's going to write this story. At least like I, I'm on the app and I know <laughs> what it is, I think. But yeah. It was just a lot of grassroots on the ground stay really close to the product and really close to the community. And what we noticed was people kept coming back and, and that's unusual for anything we built. Right? <laughs> um, it's unusual for any social product and they were spending a lot of time on it. And the thing that we loved that we loved is that they would tell us that it made them feel better. We always say we, we really want to build a place where you can spend as much time as you want on it, but you feel it's time well spent because you deepened friendships and met people and learned. And it's been additive to your life instead of taking away time, right? Or making you feel bad. So we just kept slowly building it. When you look back now, you know, a year past that moment, is there anything that you would have done differently when you were thinking about like building that original community? Ooh, you want to take that one, Rohan? Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about what we would do differently. Why don't you go first? Let me think about my answer. I mean, I mean, 100%, I'm sure. Uh, one thing that I think maybe would have been good to do sooner was start to tell our story about who we were and, and what we were trying to build and, and what we cared about because people started talking about Clubhouse because they were using the product a lot and because they really liked it, I think. And we, for a long time, just sort of said, no, we don't want to talk about it. That's not what matters. What matters is staying focused on the community and, and having town halls and talking with them and, and building the product. But when you won't talk externally about it, it creates a void that other people will fill in. And so you'd start to hear narratives that it, that it was some ultra exclusive digital Soho house. And like, we never intended to try and build something that was exclusive. From day one, we've always said we were building this for everyone in the world. We just want to scale it in a measured way so that each time we add a new wave of users, the experience for everyone gets better rather than worse. But that narrative will form, right? Or other people will, will go out and post things about it or post things about the company or, or about us that, that just aren't true. And I think that in retrospect, it would have been good to start telling our story a bit earlier than we did. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. I think there's always this like narrative that we were trying to create hype. And I think our only intention was to quietly build. And it just, for some reason, we just didn't do a good job controlling that narrative. And I think part of it was because we weren't telling our story. So yeah, I think that's a good one. I think I would agree with that. Yeah, because we've certainly seen products like I, I always think of Google Plus, which seemed like it just like solely uh, scaled through early, early adopters, like very like tech centric people. And then they just didn't actually they weren't often very well interconnected. And by the time they were like sort of bored with the product and it felt like a ghost town, they left. And when more people that were connected to them joined, they the first users were already gone. And it felt like a perpetual ghost town for every wave of user that came through and it never truly like re reached its fruition. And so it yeah, I definitely think that that, um, that more deliberate scaling method really, uh, really helped you guys. And yeah, I definitely agree. It seemed like it spiraled way out of control because <laughs> when there's something that feels like you don't have access to it, there are two sort of perspectives are like, okay, cool. I get it. Like, I just have to wait my turn. But like, that's not very human nature. Like we're not patient in general. And so it's often easier to just construct a narrative that says like, oh, there's some like, you know, ulterior motive to the fact that I'm not allowed on. And it felt like that did spiral sort of out of control. And like, yeah, I think what a lot of people didn't realize is that for the first, I don't know, four or five months of the company, it was just two of us, right? It was just Rohan and me and Rohan was doing all of the engineering and I was doing all the pixels and design and we would collaborate a lot on the product. And I think people, um, might have felt that it was a bigger company that was deliberately trying to create hyper exclusive and it just it's just the opposite of the truth 
But I think that's on us for letting that void be there. And, uh, you know, it's natural, I suppose, that other people would fill it in with a different version of the story. So all of a sudden, though, you, you guys started to raise money, valuation started to climb, the hype started to grow. And meanwhile, you guys are just trying to build a product. And, you know, that seems like an incredibly heavy yoke to just like put on your shoulders of like suddenly you have to live up to this valuation or that, you know, you're, you know, you're trying to build a product that like the whole world seems interested in using, but like you just can't engineer it fast enough to be able to support that big of a community. Like, what did it feel like? Maybe just like personally, how did it feel trying to scale and build up this team and product amidst all of that hype? I feel like we were never motivated by the hype. I think the thing that we've always kind of said is like, we want a product that works and we, we want a product that makes people feel good. And um, I think we were always really, really product centric. And for the longest time, we just felt the product wasn't ready for more people. And so we were still trying to learn a lot of the nuances of the product. The first version of Clubhouse, there was no split between speakers and audience. So anyone could be on stage and anyone could talk. And we very quickly realized that wasn't going to work. We're going to have to like split people up into speakers and moderators and, and audience members. And I think we were still trying to figure a lot of that out for the first few months. And so I'm trying to think personally, I, I just felt that like we were just really, really focused on building the product and, you know, yeah, I, I think being it's super like, distracted. Yeah. And, and I think that our, our approach has sort of been like when we did our seed round, we, we sort of said, okay, well, let's, let's raise enough money to go for 18 or 24 months, because if we can't figure something out by then, then we should probably go get jobs and, and make sure we have a, a salary for our families. And then when we started to have the opportunity to do a series A, we sort of said, wow, that, that's really great. But if it continues to feel like it's working, then, you know, we should still be able to raise money. And, and if we get new data that makes us think it's not going to work, then we don't want to have a bunch of someone's money. And we're not capital constrained because it's just two of us and, and we don't spend a lot. So let's just stay heads down and focus on the community and focus on the product. And we had that mindset for a long time. But then eventually we started to get more and more conviction that there was something that felt important, that felt like it could be really meaningful. And, and it, it felt kind of increasingly obvious in, in retrospect to us that something like this should exist, that you should be able to have conversations with other people, right? We always say it's the oldest medium. It's gathering with other people in small groups and talking. It's the foundation of civilization. It's something we all love to do. And the great thing about technology is it, it just takes things that we've always loved doing and it makes them easier. So it just felt like this is something that could be really durable. And then we got the early metrics back and, and, and those were really good and, and we started to get busier. So we, we ended up raising a, our Series A and then we just got back to building and eventually we put the app in the app store and let people invite a few more people and a few more people. Then it just started growing really fast. And I think that's another thing I would say, Josh, is like in retrospect, it would have been good to, to start to build out the team sooner. Because in December, it, it just started growing really, really fast. And, and come January, like earlier this year, our whole company was only nine people. So we've had to work really hard to scale the team and scale the infrastructure. And I mean, we're incredibly grateful to be working on something where, where scaling has, has been a challenge, but it definitely, it's a challenge, right? And it's a really important thing to be able to support more users. I guess I just wonder, you know, there are a lot of founders out there that might be going through similar things. You know, Paparazzi is another app that's suddenly raising a bunch of money, experiencing hyper growth. And maybe I'd just love to hear, like, if you have any advice to those kind of founders, like both maybe just like a, a moment of vulnerability of like, did you feel stressed by like the sudden, like all the press attention and the, you know, the valuation and things like that? And like, how do you sort of deal with the mental health aspect of that? I know this is really weird, but it hasn't been particularly stressful. I mean, it's always crazy and there's always something popping up that you need to deal with and unexpected things and big challenges and it's surreal, but there's so many things that I can be better at and want to be better at. But one thing I think that I've, I've always been wired to be okay at is just being grateful. Like it's crazy to me that we live in a world, in a place, in a time where you can earn a salary trying to build products like this. And, and it just blows my mind. And so I think one thing that you gain over the years is perspective and gratitude. And I think that to work at a startup, especially a social media startup, you have to be wired to enjoy that challenge, right? And that ambiguity and those unexpected situations. And, and one thing that we talk about a lot is relentless positivity and relentless optimism. And I feel very lucky that I don't get very stressed out about it. I just feel 
grateful that we get to spend our time building this thing. And when big new challenges pop up, we just feel like, yeah, okay, we'll figure this out. We got this. And we work together as a team and, and we figure it out and, and we, we enjoy that process. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, the other thing I was just thinking about was, I, I think it was a lot more stressed at my first startup. I think doing it for the first yeah, time. Yeah, totally. Totally. It's a difference, you know, I think, yeah, you know, you're kind of doing something because you feel like you're supposed to. This time I felt like I was just doing it because I really wanted to. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, it, it just felt less stressful this time around. I, I think I, I know, some of it is like you've got families and you've got a kid. Yeah, I was going to say, know? it's really <laughs> weird, but I think family does, for me personally, having kids, it, maybe it gave me a different perspective on things where you just kind of know what is actually stressful and catastrophic and Absolutely, important right? to you, I mean, right? yeah. yeah, exactly. Like no stress for Clubhouse is related to like any stress related to your family or your kids. I mean, you feel great responsibility, right? You feel great responsibility to your teammates, to your investors, to your user community, most importantly. But uh, I guess when you've gone through a bunch of ups and certainly a lot of downs, you gain perspective. So I think that's the, the most important thing that we probably learned over the years is you talked about other apps that might be growing really fast. I think you just have to recognize that there will be highs and there will be lows and competitors will come and go and things will rise and fall and you're going to do your best and don't get carried away by the hype and don't get too discouraged by the lows because you know it's going to be a roller coaster, right? And, and so you just try and stay focused on the long term. And you try and act in a way that you're proud of with people that you really respect and really enjoy working with and just kind of keep things in perspective, even when things are bad, you know? I feel like we're coming finally full circle in that, you know, the early, like I knew that Clubhouse was coming into its own when every conversation on Clubhouse wasn't about Clubhouse. And now, and, and now I've screwed it all up by like a year later, bringing it back and it all being about Clubhouse again. But uh, you, you guys do an incredible job of communicating with users. I think one of the things I really love that you talked about was just like being basically on the phone with your users all the time by being on the app crazy? all the time is like a hilarious way to like accelerate product market fit. What a blessing, right? To have a product where they, I often say like people describe a viral product as one where a byproduct of using it is that it grows. Like with Clubhouse, a byproduct of using it is you get feedback from amazing people while they are using it all day. So you can learn and iterate so quickly. I always joke that like if Clubhouse fails, like this should just become some like internal corporate dog fooding thing where like every, <laughs> where every, like everybody's engineering team should just be on this with their users so that like at least they can figure out what's wrong or the product team could learn about what to do next. Uh, so with that, like if you zoom out, you have the Clubhouse town halls where you do a great job of talking about like nitty gritty of features and requests and like what people want out of it. But if you zoom out a little bit, I want to know like, what is it that you want Clubhouse to be that it isn't right now? Maybe not just like what it could do, or maybe it's something that like Clubhouse can already do that people don't really know or think of Clubhouse as being, but what do you want Clubhouse to be that you don't think it is yet? Honestly, like I think the thing to me that I love about Clubhouse is it's a place where people gather together and then they can find the rooms where they could be with the people they want to be around. And I um, I just feel like that just feels so special. And so it's not very different from what it is today, but I just feel that we have a lot of work to actually make that happen. I think we're still in the very, very early stages of onboarding more people, more different communities, different um, interests. And so you know, I think that's kind of my answer, but I know that's not perfect. So I want to hear Paul's answer too. I totally agree. With Clubhouse, we're not religious about a lot of things. We're not religious about like everything has to be live or you can only have audio and everything needs to be audio. I, I think the product will evolve quite a bit. The thing that we are quite religious about is this idea of scaling intimacy and creating a space that's more human where people can come together and like I was saying earlier, deepen friendships and meet new people and learn and just have this really positive experience. And so I think when we look forward at the app, we don't want it to be dramatically different. We just want to adhere to those principles and we want to make it better and better and better every day, right? So like discovery is a huge area of focus for us right now. How do we help you find the right people to follow, the right rooms to join, the right clubs to join? How do we send you fewer really, really high quality notifications and, and make it so that every time you open the app, no matter where you live in the world, no matter what your economic situation is, no matter what networks you have access to, you can open up the app and find a perfect room to be in, you know, with maybe five people or 10 people or 50 other people 
that are the type of people that could be, you know, your really, really close friend. That could be your your new business partner or your new life partner or someone who just helps you learn or brings you joy. And I just love that. I love the idea that people in some small town, you know, in the middle of, of the US can talk with people in Africa for the first time or 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 in Italy or or in you know some other corner of the world. And people can be in a room with people that look totally different from them, that have a completely different set of lived experiences to them. They can connect as humans. So I don't think the direction is different from where we're going right now. I think the magnitude is different. I think we want it to be orders of magnitude, more people, orders of magnitude, better discovery. So it can really, really live up to its long-term promise. You know, like I was saying before audio, it's, it's like relatively new in the world of social networking, at least in the U.S., but it is the oldest medium. And I think it is the foundation of humanity. It's the foundation of civilization. And so if you can create something like that, that really scales, where you show people the perfect room for them to be in at that moment in time, I think you can build something that billions of people use every day and it makes their life better, right? It, it helps them make friends and learn and have a richer experience every day. And that's what we want to do. So same direction, but you know, we just have a tremendous amount of work to do to get there. And, and we've got this wonderful, amazing team that we started to build now. And we know we can do it, but we've got a lot more building to do. So one thing that I feel like is is such a challenge here is the graph collision, the idea that there is both sort of this interest graph on, on Clubhouse as well as this social graph. Like I follow both my best friends, even if our interests aren't really that overlapping, and people I've never met because we care about the same things. And those are all kind of encompassed in the following graph. And I think, you know, I, I always feel bad that I feel like I'm adding to it, but, you know, it seems like what most people know of Clubhouse as is like these sort of big tent poles talks, you know, things like the Good Time Show, events like the Lion King, or even emergent cultures and sort of persistent rooms like the Lullaby Room. Uh, and I feel like the social rooms and closed rooms where you just interact with like your actual friends or the people you follow is something that a lot of people don't even maybe know exists. You can't necessarily tell when you look at that start room button that it doesn't mean start room with the entire world, that it could mean start room with just your friends. Uh, would love to hear you just talk a little bit about like, do you think of this as being a social graph, an interest graph? Can those live merge together? Do you need something like a close friends, you know, side graph of your interest graph to be able to, you know, make it so that you can have a, a room with just your friends and not like your idols and the people you care the most about? Because sometimes I'm worried, like, I don't want to start a social room because like my social room would be like my best IRL friends. And then like the people I respect most in the world who maybe aren't actually who I want to talk about the same things with as like my friends and just like joke around and be silly. So would just love to hear like your vision for that. Like, do you want those social rooms to be a bigger part of it? Or is it mostly the focus on the interest graph and how can those graphs live side by side? Yeah, I could, I could start with that. Yeah. You're always super thoughtful about product stuff, Josh, and I appreciate these questions. I think there's sort of a spectrum on, on one end, you have large public broadcast and on the other end, you have small private communication. And I think you see evidence with other networks that those things can coexist in a single network. One example I often think about is Instagram. Instagram, something from what I hear, something like 60% of people change their default privacy settings to go private on Instagram. Like, that's crazy. When have you ever seen a product where 60% of people change their default settings and it works? But it works and it's great. And for those 60% of people, they're there to deepen existing friendships. And they care about who commented on their stuff and what they said. And for the other 40%, they want followers. They want likes. They want branded content. They want monetization. And, and that's great too. And as a consumer... I follow some accounts from column A and some accounts from column B, and, and it works really well. I think Clubhouse is similar in that you have the large public rooms, you have the small private rooms, but it's actually not bimodal. There's this whole middle ground, which I think is an extremely interesting space where you have friends of friends and communities and, and small group discussions. And, and you're right, I think people don't realize this, but right now there are thousands and thousands and thousands of rooms happening all over the world. And a lot of them are private. A lot of them are closed. A lot of them are these communities. And I think that's great. That kind of mirrors the real world where you have dinner parties and happy hours and meetups. And we want Clubhouse to, to be able to serve people along all ends of that spectrum. And, you know, you could argue that they're all interesting in their own ways. And the question is, how do you build a network structure that allows them to coexist? And how do you build the right in-app features to tell people know about them? Like that's where all the fun stuff comes. 
you know, that that's something we think about a lot. Okay, so I want to give just a quick recap of some of the amazing points that you guys talked about. You know, we talked about at the start, you know, you guys were building these other social apps like Highlight and you were working all the time and stopped reading books and, you know, were sort of craving more of that connection and that, you know, you'd, Paul, you were sort of a jokester growing up, but you always really believed in like how important those interhuman relationships are. And that, you know, Rohan was building a, a an app that was basically like chat roulette for phone calls, but that, you know, the, the, the difficulty was in actually getting <laughs> the right friend. people on either side of the line at the same time, but that there was beauty in the idea of, you know, the fidelity of voice, the intimacy of it, the ability, the found time with multitasking. And that, you know, there was the problem with audio to date, like you love the podcast space and uh, the challenge wasn't in creating, like we're natural at creating speech, but it's about that producing and distributing. And it's such a big time commitment, you know, to, to say you're going to do a podcast over and over again. You have to beg people to come and follow you. You need studio equipment and all of this other stuff. And, and you know, a lot of the best content in the world was kind of locked behind people who may, may be great at speaking, but didn't want to do the rest of that work. And, you know, that there was this opportunity to leverage the specialization of humanity by letting those experts just do the creation work and not worrying about anything else. And by you could become this catalyst to sharing that information if you took care of all that other stuff for you. And that was, you know, where you went from talk show, that previous product before Clubhouse, where, you know, you you could make a live podcast, but you had to do the distribution yourself to creating, you know, a shared space, a shared hallway where people could find each other. And you took that uh, distribution work off of the hands of the creators. Um, and, you know, we, we talked about how wild it is that we leave up so much of our life and our happiness and fulfillment to serendipity and just like the randomness of how we meet people and how incredibly inefficient it is. And that if you could just reduce the friction to finding the right people, whether it's people that you could be close to because they're a friend of a friend and they have that right con connection or like uh, that, that right introduction the way that you have at a great dinner party or people who have the same interests and that, you know, the little thing that you thought nobody else in the world cared about that you might be able to define that person. And, you know, Rohan, meanwhile, was like working on Google Attitude and maybe it was like a little creepy, but like that serendipity of running into somebody who you knew was close by, like you guys sort of took that out of the geospatial world and put it into the interest world where like there's somebody with an interest right nearby to you in this hallway and maybe you could run into them. Um, and you talked about how you're getting better over time and, and working on products. You know, you learned pattern matching and, you know, not re raising more money than maybe you needed. We'll see, see how that works out over time, given how much you ended up raising. Um, but that, you know, the superpowers here were like Paul's optimism and Rohan's focus and willingness to be the bad cop and keep you guys prioritized on what really mattered. And you know, we talked about the early days of you know building this really purposeful distribution of picking the people and saying, hey, we want you to you know bring the person you would most like to have at a dinner party into this with a mind for inclusiveness and diversity, which I think is something most tech products do not have nearly as early as you guys did. Um, and that you wanted to grow gradually and just not so you just don't break things engineering wise, but so that you build your own emergent cultures and people learn how to use the app and how much you cared about jumping in when people first joined the app to make sure that they, you know, they knew what they were doing. Um, but then over time, maybe if you could go back, the thing that you would change would be that you were really refused to talk about the app externally. You just wanted to build, you just wanted to commune with your community, but that meant kind of giving up control of the narrative, especially in terms of the press, which led people to maybe misrepresent Clubhouse as something that was exclusive and purposefully exclusive, like some Soho house of the internet, rather than it just being like, hey, we just really can't support this many people and we're trying to grow to Deliberately, uh, and that over time, that you know, it was it was really crazy to you because you know the you live in this world where you know you can now actually build a, you know a living and a profession out of just building products to solve problems like you know this lifelong quest you've had to help people reduce the friction of actually meeting each other, um, and that you feel this great responsibility you know not you know to your families to your you know to your work uh, your investors to your community uh, to your coworkers, but that you know the main thing that really helped you get through all this was like not getting carried away by the or discouraged by the lows and just realizing that like, you know, compared to like real life problems, you know, whether users go up or down isn't necessarily the biggest or most worrying thing. And I love that you guys have taken this lack of orthodoxy when it comes to how you build. It's not that everything has to be live. It's not that everything has to be 
audio and you're kind of following along with what your users tell you they want. And, you know, the next big thing you're really working on are that is that discovery, which includes, you know, both helping you find the right rooms and using notifications properly to find those rooms and, you know, making a way for us to be able to encompass both that big, you know, what people think of as Clubhouse, which is those big name rooms, but as well as, you know, that more intimate social experience with the people that you care about. And that, you know, while you don't see them in the hallway, there are a lot of those rooms happening. And maybe that's the thing that I hope most people from this app take or from this talk take away is that like, if you're on Clubhouse, it doesn't have to just be talks like the one you're listening to right now. It can be something a lot more intimate (laughs) with the people that you really care about. And so with that, I just want to ask one quick question of the last, for the two of you before we go, which is, you know, is there an emergent norm on this app that you don't see at all yet that you do wish would start to emerge? Maybe it's a type of content, maybe it's a type of room or a type of relationship that happens here. Is there something that you hope happens more going forward that you would like to see the community, that the community could participate in and take up the torch uh, to make this a better place? Ooh, um, I've got a couple of ideas that I feel like we've talked about in town hall, but one thing that I really like is I I think, uh, you know, I I see that uh, Kelly has just listening on a profile photo. I really like the idea of people not feeling pressure to talk. And if there was some really lightweight way for them to tell the stage that, look, I'm just listening right now, I think that would be great. And in terms of the kind of rooms, the rooms that I've been really, really enjoying over the past few days are the singing rooms from India. There's just all of these people get together in a room and they just sing songs to each other, like nonstop. Like there's a room that's been going on for four days. It's just, it's just incredible. So <laughs> I love the singing rooms. <laughs> Paul, what's your answer? I guess a couple other things that have been really that have been really great to see. A lot of people are doing welcome rooms for all the new people that are joining around the world. Not not the welcome rooms that are built into the app, but they're just creating welcome rooms. And I think I think they enjoy doing it because more people get exposure to you and your club and all of that. But it really helps people feel like they're coming to the party with a friend, you know. And so that's been great to see. There are special occasion rooms, you know, celebration rooms, tribute rooms when people have passed and birthday rooms honoring people. And and I think that the other thing I would call out is I've seen a lot more newsrooms, which I really like. And, and we've seen like 24 hour newsrooms where people are just increasingly like having always on channels. It's kind of like when we got cable television in the 90s and you suddenly had 24 hour news, that was a new idea. Or like a home shopping network, that was a new idea. Or a golf channel, that was a new idea. And people just blow you away with their creativity when when you give them some of these basic tools, right? So I really like that the explosion in these new in these new formats. Again, like it, it's all about reducing friction. And I often compare it to like with video, we went from broadcast television to cable TV, where you had you know from four channels to four hundred channels to YouTube, where you had an infinite number of formats and, and new experiments that people were doing. And, and now we look at the world of video today, it's forever changed. And with audio, we kind of went from terrestrial radio to podcasts, which are great and in theory unlimited, but they're not live, they're not interactive, and they're pretty heavyweight. And so when you can just re- reduce that friction just a little bit, I think the people here just blow you away with their creativity. So those are some of the formats that I like seeing over the past week or two, <laughs> but literally like every day. We have this back channel in Slack where we, where we, you know, people are calling out totally new things that we had never even seen before, like language learning classes and all sorts of cool things. So I, I think we kind of let the community lead it and we just try and pave the cow paths that, you know. I just wanted to say thank you from the bottom of my heart that like you've created a space where so many people in this year of isolation could find their community, could find an escape, could find a way to interconnect and to really feel more fulfilled, more self-expressed because you guys took so much of that work off of our plate. You made it so you didn't have to have a giant following. You made it so you didn't have to already be known or know have all this equipment or expertise. All you needed was something that you cared about and you could go find a community to share it with. And so that means the world to me. And I think that means the world to everybody who's on this app. So Rohan, Paul, thank you so much for being here on Press Club's first anniversary show and for building this whole thing for us. Oh, thank you, Josh. Honestly, like you oh, just like, loved every single room <laughs> you've done. And we're just so grateful to have you as part of this community and yeah, also you, you, for spending your birthday with us. So happy <laughs> <birthday>. <laughs> You've been such an important part of the community this year, Josh. And when you said you were thinking of doing this show, we were so excited to, to be part of it. So just 
immense, immense gratitude for everything that you've done and that you've given to the community here. And hopefully we can keep making the product better and better and better for you every day. I mean, honestly, to me, it's all just about the people here in this room right now. The press clubbers who've been here every week or tried to tune in whenever they could have submitted questions, have given feedback, because sometimes it feels like you're just talking into a void and you really don't know. There is that line between the speakers and the listeners. And I want to see that line broken. And so many people in the community have been willing to step across that line to give me the feedback, to keep making this thing better, to tell me who you want to hear next, to hear me what topics you want to talk about, or just like how I could be better at this, because I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just flying by the seat of my pants. And that's half of what makes it so fun and why I wanted to spend my birthday uh, here with you guys on this. So uh, with that, Rohan and Paul, thank you again for coming on Press Club. If you guys out there in the audience are building something special in the like social space, I would love to hear about it. Our $1 billion venture fund, Signal Fire, is funding all sorts of startups in the creator space and the social space. You can find me uh, anywhere on the internet. Would love to hear what you're building. So thank you, every single one of you who's here, uh, who's been here this whole time, or even who just popped in and wanted to check this out. It means the world to me. I would love your feedback. Tell me what you want to hear out of this because the best part about Clubhouse is that it's multiplayer. It's collaborative. It's not creating in a vacuum. It's creating together. And so I hope if the one thing that you take from this talk is that if you go out there, just share what is authentic to you. Start a room about whatever weird topic you care about. You will be surprised. There is somebody on this planet, somebody on this app who cares about the same thing and forming a connection over those esoteric niches, those subcultures that you care about it will just bring your soul alive. So I hope you go out there, find your voice and find your community. Thank you again for all being part of Press Club for this whole year and to many more years to come. It is my honor to get to share this time with you. Farewell, friends.